Well, it's good to have our grandchildren with us this morning. A couple of them. In the, in the back door, I was telling Roger, and Roger said, we don't know, we're not grandparents yet, but it's coming. And Kendra, yes, a great idea. For those of those, so we can help Roger and Robin get ready, let's start loaning them some of our kids and help get them ready to be grandparents. Lesson 101 in grandparenting. Notice how you sit between them in church. Some of y'all learned that when you had multiple kids, right? When they were little, you sit between them. It's just good business. We know they love each other, and they don't fight too much. And they, but it just works out better when, you, when the grandparent gets in between the two grandchildren. Parents don't have to do that. They got their bluff in. Grandparents, we're old softies. And see, the grandkids know that. So we do that. But it's good to have Peyton and Adeline with us this morning. Man, man. Christmas is almost here, folks. You see the, the rush, the, the uh, cyber ads for shopping are getting more intense. They're reminding you just how close it is and how little time you have left to hurry up and get your orders in so they can be delivered in time for Christmas. The stores have all their big sales going, and I'll be honest with you, what few times I was out and about at the stores, I didn't see crowds of people shopping. Anybody else have that experience? Anybody been Christmas shopping a little bit? Have you seen that the stores are emptier this year than normal? Was it insane yesterday? Okay, so, so people's waiting for the last minute. Um, but I just want to encourage you during this season, let's keep Christmas the main thing. And it, it's good to go through all of our, our gift exchanging and giving and loving on people and family get-togethers and all that. But the main reason we celebrate Christmas is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to remind everyone the announcements. Can you throw those back up there a minute, Caleb? A couple of things that, that are coming up. On Monday the 21st, sometime around 5 p.m. or a little after, we should be able to see what's known as the Christmas star or the Bethlehem star. Some of us were talking the other night. We were together and we says, uh, you know, the church is up on a hill and there's some open fields. I don't think I could see it good from the house. So we're, a few of us are going to come here and meet at the church at 5 o'clock and, and try to watch and view the Bethlehem star from the church premises. They said that night, about 45 minutes after sunset, depending on what you call sunset. When I'm deer hunting, sunset is the last possible moment I can see in the woods. Amen. That's sunset for me. So I don't know what the official time is. They said about 45 minutes. The official time of sunset, some days, I think it's as early as like 4.30, 4.45. So it, we may be able to see it as early as 5.15. I, I'm not sure. But a bunch of us, if you're able, on the 21st, just come and, and gather here at the church and We'll get a good hillside view, hopefully looking toward the southwest. If you don't come here and you view at home, it's toward the southwest is what they're saying. And you should be able to see, this is the first time they say since the birth of Christ when it's in there. Man, wouldn't it be something if Jesus decided to come back and get us? The same way He was born into this world, underneath the Bethlehem star. Folks, we know we're in the season. The wise men followed that star for many weeks before they arrived and found the, the newborn king. Wouldn't it be something if this star 
isn't coming as a, as a sign again to usher the return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Something to think about. We all know we're in the season. We all know that. Then Wednesday the 23rd, we're going to have a special Christmas service here. We're going to sing some, some carols. We're going to share the, a little scripture on the Christmas story. and We're going to take communion. We're going to do all this by candlelight. So it's going to be like a candlelight service on Christmas Eve. Amen? It'll be nice. So please make plans to attend that. We won't do youth or children or anything else. So I think some of the children may going to be singing. Is that right, Sheila? Some of them going to sing, maybe? It's up in the air. But, but as a group, at least, we're going to sing some Christmas carols. We're, we're going to do that. We'll have candlelight communion, have a special service. Then Monday, January 4th, through the 24th, I'm asking as much as possible if the church would join Connie and I in a fast. And Connie and I do the Daniel fast because we're still getting enough nutrition to have some strength. But yet our flesh does begin to subside and our spirit rise up. And we're, we do that because it draws us closer to God. We tend to hear from God better. And it just tends to get the new year off to a good start. I asked this before and didn't see many hands. Some of y'all have participated in fast before, right? Some of y'all have done that. Some of you have. Didn't get many hands the other night when I asked about that. But if you need more information, we've got quite a few good Daniel fast recipes that'll, that'll keep you comforted as you give up your sweets, breads, and meats if you do the Daniel fast. And that's the one we usually do because it, it, it seems to work well for us. And I'm a big meat eater, so it truly is a sacrifice to me to give up my meat. Connie likes her bread, so it's a big sacrifice to Connie to give up her bread. She could probably be a vegetarian. She don't care that much about the meat, but, but she likes her bread. So that's a big sacrifice for her. And it just, uh, I'll, I'll probably uh, share some more on the value of fasting uh, in a future sermon before we start this. But just... Putting that out there, if you want to think about it, and I know some of you, maybe for medical reasons, you won't be able to do it, do the best you can. Maybe you can fast your TV or fast your cell phone or fast uh, Facebook if you've got a... Or your video games. Praise God. Some of us, we, we play a lot of video games. Maybe your video games would be something you could fast and give up. But as you're fasting, so it's more than a diet, engage and put the prayer with it. Spend that time in fasting and prayer. And, and I'll share some, uh, mess, a message with you later on some of the values of fasting and prayer. But it was, uh, it was something that many of the prophets did. Our Lord Jesus Christ fasted and prayed frequently. And there's great benefit to it. So we'll get there. Well, turn in your Bibles with me this morning to Psalms 39. We're going to start in verse 4, Psalms 39, verse 4, and I'm going to read it in several different versions. We know there's different versions out there that are, they're all still anointed. I endorse most every version of the Bible as being okay except the Queen James. That's the one that immediately comes to mind you don't want to get. 39.4. Not King James, Queen James. There's, there's one out there. Psalm 39, verse 4. I'm reading 
I'm going to read the King James first. King James Version says, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. New American Standard Bible. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. The New Living Translation. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. And then the English Standard Version says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Let's pray. Father, as we enter into your word this morning, Lord, and as I deliver this message that you've laid upon my heart, Father God, as we take the thought of this initial scripture and we, as David did, ask you to let us know just how short our lives are and just how little time we have to fulfill all that you've given us to do. Father God, we just pray that as we leave this place today after hearing this word preached, Lord, that we have a fresh anointing upon us. Lord, that we have a fresh desire within us that, that, Lord, we get stirred up in our spirits just how short the time is. I'm not a date setter, but Lord, we would, we would love to see you come back anytime, but Lord, we also know there's many people that need to come to know you. Lord, let us see how short our time is. Let us see how quickly and how serious we need to get about fulfilling the purposes that you've given each and every one of us for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Title of the sermon today is, What Would You Do? Anyone ever watch that TV show called, What Would You Do? Anybody ever seen it? Yeah, Caleb, I finally hit you on something. Usually say, I'm not that old. But this morning I hit Caleb on something. But uh, it's kind of a neat show. They, they set up scenarios. And there's something there that you see that's not quite right. And they want you to do the right thing. They want you to take action. And, and they see, and, and a lot of times it's like somebody picking on homeless people or somebody being rude to a waiter or whatever. And they want to see if, if the other people around them, it's all staged. They want to see if the other people will do the right thing and try to correct something that's going wrong or to take action uh, in the face of something that's wrong. But this thought that was expressed in 39.4 when David was praying to God, David was asking the Lord to let him know the true meaning of his life and how much time did he have left and what else did he need to get done. And as you know, David had a heart that, that he wanted to see the temple built and he wanted to see the Ark of the Covenant housed in a permanent dwelling. And he wanted to see that temple built. But God let him know that it wasn't his thing. He wasn't doing that. Your son will build the temple. God let him know. He prayed to God and asked God to know his end. And God let him know his end. And, and throughout the Bible, I think, there's people that know. And I'm going to share a couple of examples of some people that knew their time was short, including our Lord and, Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ Himself. And they, in spite of that, they, they were about the work of the Father doing what they needed to do. 
But I want to challenge each one of us today. What if like David, or some of the others in the, in the Bible that I'm going to share with you today, what if we knew just how short our days were? What if we knew we had a week to live, or two weeks, or a year, or seven years? Or we knew that Jesus would be back, I'm not date set, but if we knew that Jesus was going to come, come in shortly after this Bethlehem started, we're going to see. How would we be living our lives? What would we be doing if we knew we had a week, 30 days, 3 years, even 7 years? What would you do if you knew 7 years from now Jesus was coming to get you or you were going home, your time to leave this earth, whether you go through the grave or whether you go up in the rapture? What would you do if you knew exactly how much time you had left? Whatever that length may be. What would you be doing to spend your time? What would you be engaging in? You know, uh, many people in the world would say, man, I'm going to party. I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to do everything I had not got done. Man, I have got to take some things off my bucket list. I have got to go see uh, the Eiffel Tower at Paris, Tennessee. That, is that on anybody's bucket list? Anybody seen the Eiffel Tower at Paris, Tennessee? It's highly overrated. Over there by Kentucky Lake. I want to go see... Uh, such and such show at Branson. I want to go see Disney World. I want to go see Israel. I want to go see whatever. What would you do? If you knew him? Would you be doing selfish things like that? Or would you be saying, man, I got a bunch of family members don't know the Lord. I got to engage. I got to get these folks saved. I got to get the message out to them. Man, I got some people I work with. They are so ornery. They are so full of the devil. They wreak havoc and cause cause disunity within our workplace. I have got to share stronger with these people and try to get these people saved. i got to get the gospel message to mean something to these people. Or would you be the selfish person? God's given each and every one of us a set amount of time, and we don't know what that amount is uh, up front. Sometimes though, when the end gets close, some of us know. I've seen people that knew. They knew their time was near. And they spend those last few days or hours doing what they think is the most meaningful to them. Folks, we're on a journey through this life. We're just, we're just we're moving through this life and God wants us to have fun. He wants us to enjoy life. But He wants us to do it with His purposes in mind. You know, I used to do things that I thought was fun that now I look at them and I say, man, I wasted so much of my life. Today, I try to stay focused on things that, that not only I enjoy, but where I can have an impact on others. And if we only realized, like that Scripture says, how transient, how short our lives really are, I believe many of us would be doing things a lot more different. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at the Apostle Paul's example. The Apostle Paul who used to be Saul, the religious, Jewish, religious leader who was well versed in the Scriptures. Very knowledgeable man up to the point of not recognizing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Once Paul had his Damascus Road experience, once the Apostle Paul come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through a direct 
confrontation, contact, experience, life-changing experience, once he became the real deal Christian and turned away from his religious roots as a devout Jewish, I think he was a Pharisee, I forget, don't quote me, Pharisee, who remembers? Pharisee or Sadducee? Pharisee, wasn't he? So once he turned from being the, the, that, that person and become devoted to Jesus Christ, man, he was all in. The Apostle Paul, if, 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 if you've ever read the book of Acts and, and many of his letters in the New Testament that he sent the early church, this was his very last writing I'm getting ready to read to you. But Paul was sold out to Jesus. Paul was 100% I am doing what the Lord tells me to do. I'm in tune with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm listening every day. I, the Holy Spirit's brought him through a bunch of stuff. He's been through many trials and tribulations as he's walked his life out for the Lord. But here in 2 Timothy, he knows that his, he's down to his very last days. He was, he was executed somewhere within a few days, maybe up to a year after this was written. No, no one knows exactly for sure because the method of delivery was overland by foot and all that kind of thing. But I want to start reading in 2 Timothy, and I'm reading out of the King James this morning. It says, I charge ye thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. At this point, the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege, his, his young uh, mentee. He was Timothy's mentor. He was raising him up in the faith. He was teaching him the ways to go. Timothy was there with him through much of his ministry, but at this particular point, uh, Paul was in his final imprisonment in Rome. Um, he's, he knows that his time is near. This is the last thing that he ever wrote before he was martyred. He knew he was soon to leave this world. What he saw as most important was to get this letter out to Timothy to encourage him, to remind him, hey, it's getting bad, buddy. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. you got to preach the Word no matter what. That don't sound like today's church. There aren't churches today that just want you to give them a motivational speech. Wait a minute. 
I'm in church and I'm starting to tell a fib. I better tell the truth. There's churches like that today. They want to hear fables. They want people to make them feel good. I want you guys to feel good in the fact that Jesus Christ cared for you enough that He died for you and He provided a way for salvation. I want you guys to feel good in the sense that God loves us so much He created that plan of salvation. I want you to feel good in the fact that God has prepared a way for us to to spend eternity with Him in heaven and give us all things. But at the same time, I also got to point out things along the way that might keep you from getting there, don't I? If I didn't, I'd be amiss. I'd be tickling your ears if I didn't tell you and preach against sin and warn you of the dangers of the tricks of the devil and things like that. I I preach a lot on avoiding tricks of the devil if y'all hadn't noticed that so far. Because the churches are empty today because people have not paid attention to the devil and his tricks. That's the reason the churches are empty. The churches used to be full when people were paying attention to Jesus. When they were focusing on the message of the cross. When they were focusing on uh, living holy and righteous lives before God. And, and staying in line with the, with the Word. And the power of the Holy Spirit was able to move in the churches because the churches were filled with holy, righteous people who were uh, sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. The gifts would flow and the, and the Spirit would give those gifts to those who will because the people were ready. And folks, I see that time coming back. And the only thing that's holding God back is us. And I'm not just speaking to us here. I'm talking to whoever might listen to this podcast later that's choosing to stay home and stay away from their forsaking the assembling of themselves together when they could be here. I understand if you can't be here because you're sick or there's something going on. I understand that. But I'm also talking to those people who have got comfortable in the lifestyle of doing church at home in front of the YouTube or in front of the, the computer or on front of the TV set. I get strength from being with you guys. And I, and I touched a little bit on this this past Wednesday night. Man, if I come to church and don't see Travis, it's like going to Disneyland and not seeing Mickey Mouse. Who else is going to keep me humble? Travis keeps me humble. Thank you, Travis. We need to not forsake that assembling of ourselves together. Paul, on these last short days, weeks, possibly months of his life, he sits down and he composed 2 Timothy letter. And in this particular place, he's encouraging, he's exhorting, he's charging Timothy. He says, I know, basically, let me plain English it here. He says, I know people are going crazy. It's getting worse and worse. Even back then, it was getting worse and worse as people were erring from the truth. And he was saying, "I, I know when people aren't, aren't always going to want to listen to what you got to say. But in spite of that, you need to do what's right and you need to preach the true, uncompromised gospel. Paul, in his last fleeting moments, knowing that he was about to be, be poured out as an offering, a sacrifice, about to be martyred for standing in his faith. Because when Paul got killed, he got killed simply because he was a Christian. Just like the Apostle Peter and many others. Many of the, the apostles, I believe all of them except John, were died at a very young age. They were all martyred for their faith. They died for what they believe in. Are we that strong in our faith today that we're willing to die for what we believe in? 
the Apostle Paul, let's back up seven years in his life. I believe seven years earlier when he was in that jail and he wrote the, the four prison epistles. I believe he knew even then his life was short. He knew he only had a few years to get this gospel spread as he began his missionary journeys and he began to travel around and the, and the, the, the pressure came from the non-believers and they began to, to, to face imprisonment. He wrote these prison epistles. He wrote for them. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And I'll preach on each and every one of those at some other time. But, but each and every one of these writings, I believe Paul knew and you can tell by the way they're written, he had a sense of urgency as he wrote each and every one of these four letters that he wrote from jail some seven years before he's writing Second Timothy. Second Timothy, he's at the very end. When he's writing these other, though, I believe because of the urgency he wrote, when he's, when he's telling them uh, in Ephesians how to commit spiritual warfare, when he's warning them of how Satan comes in and does things and how they must prepare with their spiritual armor and that. And that's another sermon for another day. I'm not going to go there today. But he had the these, these sense of urgency that he needed to be about the business of discipling these new believers. Philippians was a very positive letter and Timothy helped him with that one. Praising the people for their faithfulness. Talking to the people about getting their joy back and maintaining their joy. Colossians was also written with the help of Timothy. And then Philemon was written to the slave owner asking him to have mercy and grace upon his slave and take him back in and, and treat him not as a slave but treat him as a brother in the Lord. And, and, and he took the time to be that personal and, he, and this slave had been a blessing to Paul as Paul was in prison. Then he gets out of jail for a while and he writes 1 Timothy and Titus as he was free in Rome there. Then when he finally gets to A.D. 67 when he's writing 2 Timothy, he's reflected and he's saying, man, he says, I've run the course. I've finished my course. I've done what God has tasked me to do. And I'm sure memories flooded through his mind of the shipwreck, the beatings, the stonings, the confrontations with demon-possessed people that he run into, the healings, the people that he reasoned with in, in Greece on Mars Hill, the confrontations he had with King Agrippa and the different religious leaders, Paul had a very significant course that God had called him to run. And at this point, completing his portion of writing the New Testament. He wrote many of the letters that are in our New Testament today. So Paul's reflecting on his life and he's, he's thinking and he, he's, he's last thing he's doing is trying to encourage Timothy Go on and do your thing for the Lord. You know, many of us, we've run a course for, for several years. Some of us have been running a course for the Lord for, for decades. And one of these days, 
our course would be finished. Are we going to be able to say, hey, I fought a good fight. I ran the race. I finished my course that God has given me to do. And even though Paul felt that he had done the right things, still yet, there at this last minute, he feels the need to encourage those coming behind him. Encouraging Timothy to keep running with the ball. And I remember some, some last times I some of the last times I spent with my mother while she was, was able to, to be lucid and talk, she was kind of telling me the same thing. Just run your course. I've done the best I can do. I've done all that I can do. Just keep running your course. You keep doing what God has given you to do. You keep moving forward. Even our Lord Jesus did all He could do and Jesus knew from the very beginning when he realized who he was. And if you will, turn with me to John chapter... Which one am I going to read? 13. John chapter 13. Look at Jesus' example. In John chapter 13, and, and actually John 13 through 17, all takes place the night before his early morning capture. Or his late night capture. In the, in the garden when he's betrayed. In John 13, 1 through 20. Let me, let me, let me read that for you and then I'll, I'll go on. Starting in verse 1 of John. And this is when they're all at the Last Supper. It says, Now before the, pe- the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew that he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had finished, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whosoever receives me receives the one who sent me. His last night, He knows. He knows He's about to die. He knows what's coming. This last night, He loves them all the way to the end. These, these, these twelve that He had loved with all of His heart. And at this point, He knew that Judas had betrayed Him. He still washed Judas' feet. He still loved His enemy and His Word. He, he lived out that night what He taught when He was on earth when, during His three and a half years of ministry as, as He told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that, I'm telling you, in our eyes, Judas would be our enemy, right? In Jesus' eye, I mean, He's the one selling Him out. He's the one that's betraying Him. But He still washed His feet. And He washed the other's feet. He showed them how to love one another, how to be humble. There's a humility lesson. And he goes on to tell them the messenger is no greater than the message that he's taken or the, or the one who gave him the message to send. We are all messengers for Jesus Christ as, as Christians. We are all messengers for Jesus Christ. We're his ambassadors, his representatives among the heathen world. And we're no greater than he is. In fact, we should humble ourselves to him, but we should carry his message forward. I know a lot of people today who get kind of puffed up in who they are in the Lord. Amen. They say pride goeth before the fall. I believe God's purging a lot of ministers today. I believe God's purging a lot of people that are in high places in the Christian world, whether it be in colleges or whether it be in other religious institutions or whether it be in the churches and TV ministries and things like that. People that have exalted themselves. But Jesus gives this humble servant object lesson by washing their feet. A lesson in humility. Right before, he knows his time's short. Then he spends the next several hours, and I'll just reference John, all the way through John 17. In, in John uh, 13, he goes on to begin to teach them many things, besides the humility lesson. John 14, he begins to teach the true way, and how He is the way, the truth, and the life. He begins to tell them the promise of the Holy Spirit and remind them what will happen. John 15, uh, abiding in Him, the true vine. and Man, what a, what a great teaching there. If we stay tied into Jesus as the vine, how we can be successful. Then He goes on and and 16, and teaches the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit. This is all the last night he has to live. His last 24 hours, he's reaching out. He's doing a crash course. He's pouring his heart out. He's showing them how much he loves them and humbles himself before them and teaches them how to be humble servants. And then he's teaching them these critical things they need to know to survive once he's gone and to build the church and to carry the Word of God to the, to the lost and dying world. He knew his time was short. In verse uh, 17, when he gets to verse 17, he prays. 
Verse 17, if you've ever read it, it's a prayer. Jesus prays for all people, past, present, and future. His last time, He's publicly with His disciples. And of course, you know, then they go back to the garden and He's betrayed. They come and get Him and haul Him out. But His last time with them, in, in chapter 17, as they're finishing the evening out, He offers a prayer that included us. He even prayed for us, the future ones that would believe. His last moments on earth was spent reaching out. And then if you really want to get to the nitty gritty, His last moments, His last words was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Folks, that's love. The Apostle Paul, his, his, his limited days, and when he felt the time was short, he's loving on people. Jesus, knowing His last earthly moments are there, He's loving on people. He, he forgave the thief on the cross and, and let him know that he had eternal security. And, and He asked God the Father to forgive those who had done this terrible thing and crucified Him. They didn't know what they were doing. How are we spending our time? Because you know what? Some, some of us, we may not see 33. Jesus only lived 33 years in the physical body. 33 and a half years, whatever it was. He didn't hit His 34th birthday. Some of us, we, we may not hit our 34th birthday. I passed mine a few years ago. Brother Don, you had your 34th birthday a few years ago too, didn't you? But you know what? We may live to be 120. Who knows? But what are we doing? Regardless, that, that, that opening verse that I got to, that I started with this morning in Psalm 39. As today's church, what are we doing with our time? Are we following the example of Paul? The example of Jesus? And making the most out of every moment we got? Are is today's church living selfishly? Is today's church in many cases just a big social club? Is today's church in many places a place where you go to, to be affirmed that you're a good person and you're doing right? You guys are all great people. But I'm still going to preach things that you need to hear. I'm not just going to tell you how great you are every time you get here. Although you're all great people. I love you all. I really do. But I just, sometimes i got to remind you of stuff. And today what the Lord has laid on my heart was Psalm 39.4. I need to remind you that all of us, our time is short. And David, he prayed to the Lord and asked the Lord to show him. And the Lord showed him. Even begin to give him visions of the temple. But he couldn't build it. He had to pass it off to his son. You know, I'd like to do great things. I'd, I'd like to be here for, 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 for 30, 40, 50 years, whatever, when... When, when, when we've got uh, the, the churches grown and, and we've planted churches in the outlying communities, I'm, I'm more into church planning than I am mega churches. Plant another church, let them have their own pastor. You know what I mean? I'm not into building a mega church. That just People like the closeness of a small body. That's just my philosophy. And I'm not, I'm not in the, the mega church mentality. But, uh, but who knows? It may not be me. It may be someone that comes behind me. It may, it, it may be someone that, 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 that I'm able to be like Paul and mentor someone and, and they come up and, and down the road they get to do the church plants. I don't know. But whatever the course is that God gives me, I'm going to run it day by day. I'm going to do what i got to do, 
whatever the Lord lays on my heart, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to step out in it. And that's all any of us can do. Some of us, God gives visions for great things. Some of us, God may use, there may be someone sitting in here today that may be standing behind this pulpit as your pastor in years to come. Who knows? Or some of your children. Who knows? But as you as a parent, you just need to be doing what you need to be doing right now. Lord, help me to realize how short my life is. Show me the true meaning of my life. Guide me in what you want me to do. Whatever that is. Don't, and if you do figure out, if the Lord does let you know just how short it is, if He says, okay, you got seven years. I believe Paul had an inkling when he started writing those letters that he was short then. I believe. And he was about seven years from death when he started writing those letters. What if the Lord laid it on your heart and let you know just how close you were? What are you going to do? I'm going to be seeking the Lord saying, Oh Lord, if my time is this short, please, I want, to, I want to do great and wonderful things for you. But you know what the world would do. The world's just going to say, Okay, party, let's go do this. Let's go do all these selfish things that, that we enjoy doing. But the church needs to be jumping in and realizing, and I'm talking to church at large, needs to be jumping in and realizing they've got a task. And our task is in Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 15. Most of y'all by now, because y'all heard me say it so much. That's what we're supposed to do, our task. Matthew 28, 19. Mark 16, 15. Take your pick. It goes whichever one you like, but you put them both together, they have the most meaning. Matthew chapter 28 and 19. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. He gives us a task, but He also gives us the promise. He's going to be with us through it. He gave us a great task to do. And if you read Mark 16, 15, can't read this enough. I know I've read it before. I want to read it again. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, another promise, will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He gives us the promise that he will confirm our actions. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. That Throughout the book of Acts, the church is doing that. At, the, at the, the last chapter of Acts, it don't say, and suddenly they quit sharing the gospel. Suddenly they quit speaking. They quit being bold. They become a seeker-friendly church. And they begin to stroke people's egos and they begin to make people feel good. And they begin to make people feel comfortable 
bringing their sin into the church. They begin to make people feel comfortable living whatever lifestyle suited them regardless of what God's Word said. It don't say all that. What are we teaching our children? What are we teaching our grandchildren? What are we teaching by our example the people we work with? The people we come in contact with at school? What are we saying? Are we just like them or are we different? We're supposed to be different. We should stand out. Remember I preach messages like can people see Jesus in you and some of those things. Can people see that we're different? Can they see that the church is different than the rest of the world? And that's not to say we should be prideful or all puffed up. No, we should be humble, loving servants like Jesus just taught as I read to you. But we should let them see that there's something different about us. And as we're going through our lives, as we're realizing how transient we are, and there's a bunch more Scriptures up there that deal with the shortness of life, and I'll read a couple more of them. I won't read all of them. But we should be realizing that we've got a job to do, and we've only got so much time to do it, because Jesus called us to go. What are our creature, every creature that we need to reach? Each one of us has so many people that God probably has laid on our heart. Many of us know who some of them are. And some of us, we don't need to stay hid. We need to take precautions during the COVID thing. I recognize that. And Brother Ernie and I were talking before church. We need to be smart. We need to, 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 to not get in huge crowds of strange people and and all that. We need to wear a mask when we're out in public and things like that. Wash our hands regularly and all that. We need, we need to do that. But we don't need to be living way over here on the other side in fear where we're afraid to live our lives or we're afraid to fulfill our mission to share the love of Christ with other people. There's a balance. Somewhere in the middle of just totally ignoring things and living in fear, we're somewhere in the middle. We be cautious. We be careful. But we press on and live life. And we fulfill our purposes for God. Our lives are short. What if, and I don't believe at all that this is from God, what if God may have allowed it to happen, but this virus is from Satan himself? What if Satan's trick with this virus totally shut down the churches today? It's doing it in some states. For a while, we had to do it here. We didn't know what was going on. And right now, we're needing to be careful. And some of the churches, if the, if the number of infected people get to be a lot, you need to take precautions, shut down a week or two, sanitize your I understand that. You need to be careful. We've not had our fellowship meals Thanksgiving, and it doesn't look like we're going to be able to do the Christmas meal now either because the case count's kind of high right now. We're going to take caution, but we're still going to serve the Lord. We're still going to live our life, but we're going to take caution. We're on that middle road like Ernie and I was talking about. We've got to be on that, that we've got to stay focused on our mission. We can't live in fear, but we can't just totally disregard the threat. You can't just totally say, oh, the devil can't touch me. You better be aware of the devil, and you've got to be strong and resist the devil and be wise to his tricks, or he's going to get you. People that try to say, oh, there ain't no such thing as the devil. You need to believe in the devil. You don't believe in him as your source of faith, but you believe he's real because he's coming after you. Okay? There is a devil in hell. And he's going to unleash on this world in a very short time from now called the beast. We know it's all coming. I, that's not my message today. That's another day. But he's coming. And our job is, as the church, knowing how short our time is, we already see it. They're already talking about the one world money system 
and all that. I mean, it's all around us. We're seeing it. Our job as a church is to realize how short our time is, and we need to get as many souls saved as we can. We need to get the message of Jesus Christ out to as many souls as we can. And you can read those Scriptures if you want to jot them down. All, I'm not going to read all those Scriptures. I'll read a couple of them, but our time is short. And anything that's worth preaching or making a doctrine or something worthy of giving attention to is mentioned lots of times. Every one of these Scriptures mentioned to how short time is. Like Job 7.6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Job 14.2, like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. Psalm 102.11, my days are like a lengthened shadow. I wither away like grass. Our time is short. As the church, as the body of Christ, our time is short. We're already seeing signs of what's coming. I believe the rapture. Jesus coming back to take us to heaven could happen any day. This Christmas star thing's got me excited. It hadn't happened to this degree where we could see it on earth since Jesus was born. Man, we're going to be able to see this thing with our eyes just like they did when Jesus was born. It guided the wise men all the way around the world to come and see this, this king that was born in Bethlehem. I'm not date setting. Don't go out there and say, Pastor said that Jesus is coming back because of the Bethlehem star. I'm not saying that. But it'd be cool, wouldn't it? Seems to me I remember Jesus telling them, or the angel telling them, as Jesus ascended, in like manner he will come back. Y'all remember that coming back in the cloud? The angel spoke to him. He says, why are you looking up? You know, he'll come back. Just go on with your lives. Don't let the cares of the world keep you from living your life for God. Don't let some bump in the road, some tragedy, some, some event in your life keep you from doing it. There's people today that aren't being to church because something tragic is happening in their lives. And they're not moving forward with God and they're not carrying out their purpose because some bump in the road caused them to get off track. Whatever that was, something they just couldn't forget or couldn't forgive somebody or couldn't get past something, and they just shut out. As the church, we can't just shut out. It would be easy to get discouraged if we look at it through physical eyes instead of spiritual eyes. It would be, hard. It would be easy if we, if we didn't have the Spirit of God living in us, if we just had our natural eyes and our natural bodies and looking at things in the natural. It looks grim sometimes, don't it? It does. But you know what? I know something. I know someone that is so much higher than me. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I know you guys do too. If we look to the source of our strength and the power that He gives us, we can get through this thing. And our days are short. I believe there are people sitting here under my earshot that's going up in the rapture. I hope it's all of us. But there are people, you know, some of us may go through the grave before it happens. We don't know. I don't know how long it's going to be. And I'm not date set. But I know it's coming quick because we're already seeing stuff getting set up for the tribulation period. And at the very least, depending on how you view it, I believe we're going at the front of it. But at the very least, I can see Scriptures that might lend to a mid-trib rapture. We ain't staying through all of that. And they're already getting set up. Pay attention to this vaccine that's coming. I'm not sure I want to take the vaccine. I'm thinking I'm not taking it right now. 
because I'm reading a lot of stuff that they're doing with it. When they get to the point where they're going to be able to put a mark on us to see whether we've been vaccinated or not, I'm not taking any marks on my body. I, I won't even get a tattoo or anything like that. I'm not marking my body because I know that scripture too well. I've been warned. And they're saying that they're going to, maybe not the shot, but to prove you've had the shot, they're going to give you a mark. And it's going to be a computer chip. They're going to start putting your shot record. Then first thing you know, it may be your money system. Guys, we've been warned of this. We've had the Word of God for centuries. For several hundred years, the Word of God has been around and it's warned us of what was coming. We are seeing the end times unfold before us. As the church, knowing how short our time is, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to make that concentrated effort to get out there and try to evangelize the world? Tell them like it is. You know, t tell them how much God loves them. He loved us enough that He made a way for us to escape sin. God loves us that much. That's what we need to be sharing is that message of love. But with that message of love, if you choose not to accept that message, then you're going to face judgment. If you don't accept the love of Christ, you're going to receive the judgment of Christ. It's that simple. And the, and the book tells us what we need to be doing. And God's not going to hold you accountable for something you don't know. If you'll just do all the stuff that you do know, if you'll just obey all the stuff that you knew, know is the right thing to do, and then make a conscious effort to learn more about what I ain't supposed to be doing and what I am supposed to be doing, and what I'm trying to get across today is what we're all supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be in the living, breathing body of Christ, real Christians, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, sharing the Word of God, reaching out to other people, Trying to bring as many as we can in. Because as things continue to get worse and worse, people are going to be looking for a reason why life's worth living and a way of escape from all the tragedy that's happening around them. And we've got the answer. We know the answer. We've got, we've got the book. We've got the relationship with Jesus Christ. We've experienced His love. We need to be sharing that message with the rest of the world. Some of us... We don't have to look that far. We've got family members that we need to be reaching to. Some of us, we've got neighbors, co-workers. It's not like we have all says, well, you know, I can't get on a boat and go to Africa and be a missionary. Okay, you don't have to. You can support them with missionary offerings. That's how you reach them. You pray for those missionaries. You pray for hearts to be prepared on the mission field. That's how you do that part of the Great Commission. But right here and now, we need to be working our Jerusalem and our Samaria and our Judea, the immediate areas around us. We need to be working and blossoming where God plants us. If God uproots us and moves us somewhere else later, fine. Then you go work those fields. God calls you to be a missionary, you better go because you're called to do that. If God calls you to be a missionary to the person on the job with you, you better do that or you're disobedient to God. And God will hold you accountable for that soul. If He puts the burden on your heart and you don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to witness or share or whatever He's telling you to do, and that person dies in their sin, and I preached on this one day how we're supposed to be the watchman on the wall, then the burden of that soul is on you. Folks, that is not a good feeling. I had it before. 
when I got too busy to do something the Lord wanted me to do and, and I, I made busy work. Some of us are good at making busy work to keep us from doing what we need to do for God. Stay focused. Let's be the church. Let's move on. Let's realize how short our time is. And let's get that new sense of urgency within ourselves. Bow your heads with me, folks. Father, we thank You for this Word this morning. Lord, we thank You. Your Word is nourishment for us. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful that Your Word shows us what we should be doing. And it, it challenges us to be more dedicated to You. To be humble servants of You. Oh, Father, I thank You for this message this morning. Lord, as it ministered to me, even as I know it ministered to many others, but Lord, it even ministered to me and and I have that freshness in my very own heart of the sense of urgency for trying to reach people who don't know You. Lord, Lord, I thank You for this Word. Lord, I thank You for the hearts that have received this Word this morning. And now, Lord, as we close out this service and as we prepare to go back into our mission fields where we live, work, play, go to school, Lord, I ask You to Burn that fire within each one of us. Let it rekindle the flame in some of our bellies where it's got weak. Oh Lord, motivate us. Speak to us. Guide us, Lord. Show us those that we need to reach out to. And Lord, we know that if we're obedient to Your Spirit as You guide and direct and give us a burden for people and burden for souls, Lord, that You will show us the way that You've made us the way You've made us and that the way You've made us is the way we need to be. We don't need to try to be uh, Billy Graham because we're not Billy Graham. We don't need to try to be some other famous person. We just need to be ourselves and be humble servants and share out a love Your Gospel message to the people that You put on our hearts. Oh, Father God, stir us to that point. Oh, Lord, that if there's something that's happened in our lives, It's caused us to get off track. Father God, lift us back on track this morning. Lift us back on track.